Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians 3, verses 14 through 21. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. As we've talked about leadership for the past two weeks, we've recognized a couple things. First, is that all of us are called to be leaders. We naturally occupy roles as leaders in circles, big or small. And God has called us to be intentional in leading one another. The second thing that we've observed is that God has told us where we should be leading each other. We are directed to march toward the kingdom, to fix our eyes on Jesus as king, which then takes us into the world to tell others of his rule and the restoration that he's bringing, and which compels us to bring everything that's in our circles under his sway. So today we take up one final question in light of our call to lead. How? How does God want us to lead others? To begin answering that question, I want to take us to one form of leadership that all of us have experienced from one end or the other. Parenthood. Now, I say all of us because... All of us were once children, and of course a number of us have had the privilege of being parents ourselves. Raising a child is a form of leadership. And so we can ask, how does a person do that? How do you raise a child? Yes, you need to feed and clothe them so they can live and physically grow. But that's the extent of raising a child. That might be good enough to raise crops or raise chickens, but raising kids is different than raising chickens, even though the kids might just be as crazy (laughs) as the chickens at times. How do we raise children to be human beings who will truly flourish? Well, we can name a few things. They should know right from wrong. They should know that they need to take responsibility for their life and take care of what is theirs to do. They should learn to keep their word. They should learn to put in an honest day's work. And above all this, they should learn to love God with everything they are and love others as themselves. Now this could all be broken down into much finer points, but it covers a whole lot. Notice, though, that we still haven't really answered the question about how 
to actually raise them. I had to raise them so that these things are manifested in their lives. We've answered what is needed, but not how to meet that need. This shortcoming can sometimes be reflected in our parenting. We tell our kids what they need to do and think to ourselves, that'll do the trick. Of course, just telling them doesn't do the trick. Especially doesn't when we tell our kids they should live a certain way when we don't live that way ourselves. I'll tell on myself a little bit. I can tell my son to remain calm and composed all I want, but when he sees me becoming apoplectic when I can't find my keys when we need to get to school, I'm undermining everything I'm telling him. The lesson he gets is what he sees in my life, how I respond to situations. That applies across the board to everything that we just identified. Doing right instead of wrong, taking responsibility, working hard, loving others, and loving God with all of our heart, not just part of it. Now, of course, we're not the only influences in our kids' lives. What were the biggest influences? And generally, our kids will rise or fall based on whether our words match our lives. The reason for this is twofold. One, if we're hypocrites, our kids will tend to think our words are phony, that they're false, that they don't actually have any substance to them. And second, more importantly, if we're not giving them an example, they really won't know how to act that way themselves. It'd be like giving an instruction manual on driving to someone who never rode in a car before. They need to see it to truly understand what it would mean for them to do it themselves. That's how any of us have truly learned anything. By example, it can't just be all textbook knowledge. Leading by example is exactly how God says that we should lead one another. This is at the heart of our passage here in Philippians 3. And as we look at these verses, it's kind of interesting because I could have just as easily included this passage last week when we were talking about direction, because direction figures so prominently at both ends of the passage. Um, when you look at the verses, it kind of creates a bit of uh, a direction sandwich, I'd call it. Let me get that up there. Um, you can see how in verses 14 through 16, Paul is talking about how he, how he presses on to, toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So you have this heavenward direction, talking about, you know, thinking about God's kingdom, to which all of us are called in, into which all of us ought to be pressing towards. And then in sharp contrast in verses 18 through 21, you have others who are heading in a different direction entirely. Their destiny is destruction. Now notice what appears here in the middle. In the middle of verse 17. It says, 
Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So this is the how that Paul is describing in the midst of this. This is the how you, you march towards heaven and you don't march towards destruction. You follow the example that Paul is setting. You follow the example of others who are just like Paul. You follow the example that they are setting. Now, focusing on the details here in verse 17, you see how Paul says, follow my example. And maybe in isolation, we, we would think, well, maybe Paul's being a little bit prideful here. I mean, after all, we're called Christians, not Paulinians. Um, but we understand that when Paul's calling us to follow his example, he's really only calling us to follow Christ, as Christ is manifest in Paul's own life. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 33-11, through 11, 1, it says, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And this is just like Christ. That's exactly what Christ has done. And so then he proceeds in the next chapters to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So if you're following anyone's example in the church that's of any worth, it's because their example is a reflection of Christ's own example, which we're all called to follow. Now, it's kind of striking, I think, because often when we think about the teachings of Christ, we think of his verbal lessons. You think about like the Sermon on the Mount, all the things that he said to his disciples. And, that, and that's certainly important. But we can forget the example of Christ and how this truly, in combination with his words, was the central way in which Christ taught his disciples. He taught them by example, by the things that he was doing, which was in sharp contrast from the religious authorities around them. We see this most clearly in John 13, verses 13 through 17. You can turn there. It's a great passage to be familiar with. John 13, starting in verse 13. The context of this passage is Jesus has just washed the feet of his disciples. And the disciples are horrified (laughs) because that is beneath Jesus' dignity. Jesus is their teacher. He is their Lord. This is something you only make the servants do when the guests come in. And yet Jesus has gone and washed their feet. Originally, Peter protests, and then Jesus says, hey, you got to let me do this if you're going to be with me. He's like, okay, wash all of me. Um, But then Jesus goes on further to really try to clarify kind of the the point behind this demonstration that he's offering them by washing their feet. He says in John 13, 13, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
So there's a particular lesson that Jesus is trying to um, teach his disciples here through his example, that as they occupy positions as leaders, which they will, even if they can't completely um, comprehend this at this point, they, they are going to occupy positions as leaders in the church. In their roles as leaders, they are to act as, as servants and to do just as Jesus has done. And what Jesus has just exhibited is a great amount of humility, and so that should characterize their leadership, humility. But there's also just a very much more broad and general point here that I think we can take away from what Jesus has said. The broader point is that, on the whole, we are supposed to learn from Christ's example. We are supposed to do as he does in all regards. Now, of course, we can't save each other you know, by dying on a cross, but the idea is we are to lay our lives down for each other, just as Christ has laid down his life for us, seeking the good of others rather than just our own good. We see this. Peter, Peter acknowledges this in 1 Peter 2, verses 19 and 21. He says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that Christians are supposed to be gluttons for punishment, like seeking suffering. The apostles didn't do that. If they knew some persecution was coming, they might move to a different area, try to be safe. But the, the point here is there's a willingness to suffer for the good of others. And that if we're supposed to follow Christ on that point, him laying down his lives for others, then so ought we follow him in all regards. It's almost like this. I think of it, you know, we haven't had much snow, but we're all familiar with snow. We've had a lot of it in our, in our years. You know, especially when you're a kid, your dad walks through the snow, makes those big snow prints in the snow, and you're a little kid, and especially when it's deep snow, the easiest thing for you to do rather than trying to make your own path, is to follow in his footsteps. Step in those big holes so you don't have to crunch through the snow yourself. That's what Jesus was doing for his disciples. By bearing out his words through his actions. And this is what we're supposed to do in our own lives. We are supposed to lead others by the example of our lives. This is the model of leadership that Jesus passed on to his disciples, leading by example. And it's a really powerful model of leadership. I mean, anyone who is kind of, anyone who we think of as being an inspirational leader has often um, led in just this sort of manner. You think about, like, Braveheart movie. You know, you're at the front of the soldier, and you're like, charge! And, you know, the leader, he goes into him with him. He's not back in the tent saying, charge. You know, he's not, he's not doing that. He's at the front. He's with them. He's inspiring them. And this is how we're supposed to be with each other. Doing what we're calling others to do. Now, when we talk about the Christian faith, I think we do often think of it in very rational terms, terms, kind of like just head learning. Like, okay, I go to a Bible st study and I learn a bunch of Bible 
facts, so I'm like a trivia whiz when it comes to the Bible. But that's not the point. It's not so you can just have a bunch of facts in your head. The point is that that knowledge that you gain is, is gained in order so that it might be lived out. And when we think about trying to lead each other onward, it does have to go beyond mere words, just as it does in the case of parenting. You can't just tell each other, like, okay, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We actually have to do it. There is a problem if we don't have our facts straight, if we don't know what we're supposed to know. And we can see this with some churches. There's some churches that become very energetic, and they, but they don't spend the time in the Word, and then later on, that can have some dire consequences. But their virtue is, is that they are acting, they are doing. And so the question is, is, how do we bring those two things together? Where we're faithful to the Word, but we're also faithful in following and being doers of the Word. Paul employs the Jesus model of leadership. We've seen it already here in the passage in Philippians 3. Um, But we also see him bring this up in the instructions that he gives to the Christians in Thessalonica. In his his second letter to them, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 9, he's addressing a situation in which some of the believers have become kind of lazy. And they just like to sit around and argue, and um, they're not being very virtuous in terms of being servants and workers and all that. And so this is what Paul has to say. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. These are people who are causing controversy. They just like to argue. And there are, we, we meet people like that who just like, like to make messes. Paul's saying, don't associate with them. He says, for you yourselves know how you, ought to act, how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. So again, you know, in the very specific details of this passage, um, what Paul's trying to tell the Christians here is that, you know, you don't come to the church to get free handouts. Like, yes, we do help each other, but we're supposed to work alongside each other and helping to meet each other's needs and moving the mission of the church forward. These people just wanted to sit around and gab and all of that. And he says, we didn't do that when we showed up. So now our primary mission was to teach you, and we could have said, hey, you know, we need some support from that. But to give you an example, we went and did some work, the same kind of work that we're calling all of you to do. And so the larger point is in verse 9 where he says, we offered ourselves as a model for you to imitate. That's what we're supposed to be doing for each other. We're to offer for each other models to imitate. The Jesus method of leadership is modeling life in Christ to others. And we know that this isn't just a Jesus thing. 
where it's like, okay, Jesus is the only one who's supposed to be the model, or that Paul's the only one who's supposed to be the model. Because when we go back to Philippians 3, verse 17, we see that Paul says, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So that covers everyone who was living at Paul's time, and it covers everyone who's lived since that time to this current day. Keep your eyes on those who live as Paul did, and as Christ did, of course. This is our calling, to look to those people and to set that example, just as Paul set that example. And, you know, a lot of the passages that we've covered so far this morning have been calling us to follow examples. But there's also passages, passages in which Paul says explicitly that we are to set an example for each other. We see this in uh, the letters to Titus and also to Timothy. In Titus 2, verses 6 through 8, Paul is talking to the older men within the church. And he says this, Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, And everything set them an example by doing what is good. And your teaching show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Now, in in these instructions to, you know, tell, help them, encouraging the young men to be self-controlled, we understand that you know, this can be the case for all, anyone, irrespective of whether they're male or fe- female, whether they're young or old. All of us can tr- struggle with self-control. That's one of the greatest struggles for human beings. Um, but it's certainly true. I can say that as a young man. Like, it's very easy to be um, impulsive. And, and so the prescription here for combating that is by someone older who's had wisdom who knows what it's like to have to wrestle with controlling themselves and and acting wisely, they're supposed to come alongside those who are younger in the faith and give them an example. They're the kind of people who aren't controlled by the circumstances, but instead do what's good and wise in all circumstances. And we even see how this idea of words being borne out in action is reflected even when it comes to the teaching that's described here. How it says, in your teaching, show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech. All those sorts of thing, things go beyond mere words. Because you know someone lacks integrity if they say one thing and then they do something completely other. Or if they they say something, but then by the measure of their life, it's clear that they're not very serious about it. Or they say one thing, and then it's it's clear that they don't know what they're talking about. With the ideal being that no one would have anything bad to say about us. And so there's an audience, there's a watching world, not only hearing what we're saying, but seeing what we're doing. 
And so those who are older in the faith are called forth to set an example of the faith that would ensure that there's a certain culture that's passed on. And it's the culture of Christ. It's the way of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not just the old, though, that are called to set an example. We see in 1 Timothy 4.12 that Paul gives instruction to Timothy, who's a young man, to set an example. In 1 Timothy 4, he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So if you're young, whether by age or if you're young in the faith, you need to know that you're not excused from this call to set an example for others. And we're just to set an example for others in all regards, in our speech, conduct, love, faith, purity. It's not just a conceptual sort of thing. It's something that we actually have to live out. And the benefit of this is the encouragement that it brings to those who are older in the faith. When we think about kind of the back and forth between the older and the younger, the older provide wisdom and guidance. The younger, as they remain faithful and they set forth an example, bring in encouragement to those who are older in the faith to stand up, to not give up. And it makes me think of... uh, the image of Moses holding up his staff as the Israelites are battling against the Amalekites in Exodus 17. It says there, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. I think that's just kind of an image of the way that those who are younger in the faith are supposed to act in the church. To help those who have been on the road a while, who may be growing weary, to stay strong. So let's focus here on our leadership within the life of the church. Because as we lead one another here, we will be prepared to lead in other circles of life. And that's the great blessing of the church to the world. That as we prepare leaders here, it abounds to the blessing of the world as they begin to bring the culture of the kingdom into all spaces. But let's start here, here in Rockland Community Church. If we are called to lead one another by example, then we need to put ourselves in a position to do that. So how can we do that here? Well, let's look at our discipleship process pyramid. At the top, you've got the crucial studies. We're having a crucial study seminar this week on Genesis. This section is focused on increasing our understanding through verbal teaching. And that's important because our understanding of the faith feeds right into us grasping our direction. And we can't lead right if we don't know our direction. But even though this is verbal teaching, there's still an opportunity for 
for us here to lead by example by taking this learning seriously. Stay for Sermon Circle. Go to seminars. Pick through our library and talk about it with others. Because in doing those things, your example will lead others to seek the truth. And leading by, the, by example is at the heart of the other two levels of our process. The point of our small groups is to share our lives together as followers of Jesus. This is where we cultivate leading by example. The older share their wisdom. The younger bring their excitement and fervor. And together, we spur each other forward. I don't think that's idealistic. Even when a group gathers and maybe the time isn't all that you hoped it would be, there are still opportunities to lead and grow together in that. Because we're always a work in progress. We're not going to just wait until something perfect drops out of the sky. We commit to each other even when we're worn and torn. So joining a small group is just taking that next step from what begins in our worship and community life, which is the foundation here. If you just show up on Sunday, you're setting the most basic example. Let's show up. Let's be faithful. Let's press in. And of course, there's so much more that we see as we're gathered together. We see love. We see humility and servanthood. You can see that, but remember, the point here is that you can offer that. You can lead. You can offer the example by simply showing up, by loving, by worshiping, by serving. So when it comes to serving, our leaders and I have been talking about how can we collectively take the next step? How can we raise leaders in our church? How can we give people roles that match their God-given passions? Well, as, I've, as we've been saying all this morning, we think learning by example is fundamental. So hand-in-hand hand with our discipleship process, because you need both. You can't just be serving and also growing in your faith. Hand in hand with that, we want to intentionally bring people along rather than just throwing them into roles. This is why often happens in the life of the church, not just our church, the church generally, is a need springs up, oh, we need someone to fill this role, and we just, like, who's got a warm body? And we, and we pull that person. That's not ideal. So in order to bring people along intentionally, we need people to begin stepping up now. We need you to stand up and say, I'm ready to go. So all of us are going to have the opportunity to respond next Sunday at the Servant Leader Luncheon. And this is a luncheon that's for anyone and everyone. We, We want to know the skills that you have the things that you're passionate about, and you're going to have the chance to communicate all that on a really simple worksheet that's going to be at every table. And from there, 
we're going to work out hands-on training opportunities based on where you're coming from. So this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. It's not like we're going to have the luncheon next week and then next Sunday, okay, you're plop in a roll. Now we're going to go through these worksheets and then I'm going to look over it. Our leaders are going to look over the responses that we got. And then my hope is over the next few months, we'll be able to put some of those training opportunities and be able to work you in. Now, some of you are already serving, and that's great. But maybe some of you are serving, and you're serving in ways that you're not really passionate about. And so we want to know that, too. We want to know, how, we're glad that you're, you're faithful, and you're loyal, and you're serving, maybe in ways you're not passionate about. But we also want to better align you, too. Because we know that's the way that God's going to best use you, if we get you using the gift that he's given you. Even if you're unsure, maybe you're like, I don't even know if I want to do any serving or anything. <laughs> um, maybe you just want to come for the food. That's great. I want you to come. Because your example will help lead anyone else who is unsure to come, to press in, to figure this out together. It doesn't have to be figured out overnight, but just take that one small step. This is the way of Jesus, leading one another by example. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you didn't just give us an instruction manual and tell us, go do that. Because, Father, we know that when we come before your commands, our sinful hearts rebel against them, and we don't even know the way to begin forward, to begin acting the way that you've created us to act, Father. Father, through the text that we've looked at this morning, You've shown us that you've given us the example of your Son, Jesus Christ. An example that comes with power, Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables us to, to serve and be the kind of people that you want us to be, Father. Through the sending of your Son, Father, you've shown us the way forward. That just as Christ led by example, how he taught those first disciples by example, we too are to lead each other by example. Father, we pray that you would help us to do that, to be faithful in that calling, that we, we would see that this isn't just something for the pastor, for the deacons, or for board members, or for teachers, but that this is something that's for all of us. That wherever you've placed us, Father, you have called us to lead, and that leading looks like taking the first step, living our words out in action. Father, we pray that you would help us do that, and that in being obedient to you, Father, by answering the call, we would make this a strong church, a strong local body of Christ, so that others may come to know you and step into the calling that you have for them. 
We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon I offered to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Scituate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Scituate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.